the one, the number one thing seems the committee wants is so, something you're passionate about. It's hard to be inspiring if you're not inspired. Welcome to the Business Ownership Podcast, brought to you by Awareness Strategies, helping you navigate the waters between entrepreneurship and ownership. Hey there, peeps. This is Michelle Nedelec, and I am super glad that you're here with us today because I'm here with my most amazing guest, Frank. Frank, thank you so much for being here with us today. The fan goes crazy. So, peeps, just so you know, Frank is joining us from somewhere in the Caribbean, from an unknown, <laughs> undisclosed location, and uh, we're going to have a ton of fun with him anyways. So, give us an idea of who you are and a bit about your business. Well, I am a speaker. I speak on suicide prevention as a workplace health and safety priority. I coach TEDx, and I have eight TEDx talks. Uh, no one on the planet there's nobody else on the planet who has eight TEDx talks, although Bill Gates does have eight TED talks. So, you know, uh, and I'm a stand-up comic. I'm working the cruise ship somewhere between uh, Nassau and Costa Maya, Mexico. Got three shows tonight, 7, 8, 30, and 10. So if you're available to fly down there. <laughs> awesome. So how did you get into comedy and above all, suicide comedy? Oh, well, I got into comedy in 1985, the day after Christmas. I I went, decided to go pro. I said to my girlfriend, now my wife of 35 years, I'm going on the road to be a stand-up comedian. Do you want to come along for the ride? Figuring she'd go, oh, heck no. She goes, yeah. So we gave up our jobs in our apartment and we're on the road for 2,629 nights in a row nonstop. And, yep, uh, worked with Foxworthy and... Ellen DeGeneres, Rosie, and Steve Harvey, and Adam Sandler, Kevin James, um, opened up for Lou Rawls, the Beach Boys, Neil Sedaka. It was a great time. Great uh, seven years, and, and as I said, then change. Did a little radio after that. Uh, got fired. Two kinds of people in radio. People who've been fired. People are going to be fired. And then I did corporate comedy. After dinner, after lunch, the rubber chicken circuit, as they call it, for about 10 years. And then the last recession hit. Business dropped off 80% overnight. And we lost everything in a Chapter 7 bankruptcy. And that's when I learned what the barrel of my gun tasted like. Uh, several years later, when meetings came back, meeting planners said, Frank, we love you. We can't pay you five grand for 45 minutes of funny anymore. You've got to teach the audience something. So I thought, well, you know what? Given my personal mental health history and near suicide, uh, my family's history, more nuts in my family than in a squirrel turd, I thought if I can get some training in suicide prevention. I could keynote on that. So I got some suicide prevention training. Second hurdle, I've been a comedian two and a half decades. Who's going to believe I can do anything serious? So I thought I'd get a TEDx talk. I applied for one and got my first one spoiled. And then I did, I got invited to two more after that. They said, do you have any more mental health topics? Oh, yes. So and I, I applied for the next four, and I just got invited. Uh, a TEDx in India found me on LinkedIn, liked my take on mental health, and booked me for my eighth TEDx talk. So uh, I, I became the mental health comedian. That's my brand. That is awesome. So now in your business, I know that you're doing more than the stand-up and, uh, and the prevention, the keynotes. 
you're also doing facilitating and training, yes? Yes, uh, TEDx coaching. Um, I got a program. It's uh, two things. One, TEDx coaching. And two, speaker marketing mentoring. Uh, what I discovered is all of the other TEDx coaching companies, when they get you a TEDx, they're done. But most of my clients are speakers or want to be speakers. So I thought, well, I can't just drop them there. So we talk about, we work on leveraging the TEDx, more bookings, higher fees, sell more books, raise money for your cause, whatever it happens to be. I love that. So do most of the people that are in that, have they already been speakers or do you take on people that have not spoke before and helping them with that? Yes, uh, I would say two thirds are speakers want to up their game and the other one third are speakers who want to launch their career with the TEDx. It's a great way to launch and also to brand. What do you mean by that? Well, the great thing about TEDx is it forces you to pick one idea, one topic. And I believe this, to succeed in speaking, and this is not my this is not an original idea, uh, Jane Atkinson, a speaker successful a uh, wealthy speaker launcher, Jane Atkinson, said that you need to pick a lane. You need to become the expert, thought leader. And, and the idea being that if you pick a lane, and I chose suicide prevention speaking, and you select your ideal clients carefully, and I selected six uh, occupations that have a high rate of suicide to market to in just those six, that sooner or later, you're no longer a commodity in the speaking business on your topic. When they come looking for a speaker on your topic, they come looking for you. And it happened again last week. The Montana Hospital Association wanted a suicide prevention speaker. Somebody at the meeting must have said, is there a funny one? And somebody Googled and, oh, my God, there is a funny one. And they came looking, they called a speakers bureau and asked them to track me down and book me. So that, that's the ideal. The long game is that they come looking for you. Um, it's hard, Michelle, to get speakers to give up those other lanes, to select the one lane. They feel like, you know, if I'm not marketing those other speeches, I'm going to lose money. Well, I think short-term loss, granted, long-term gain. You become, you become, like I said, a thought leader or expert in your field. So meeting planner, you know, if I come to a website and you do a half a dozen things and one of them is what I'm looking for, uh, but if you do one thing, when you land on my my uh, mental health comedian website, it just screams suicide prevention speaker, period. Nice. So when you're helping businesses brand and and it becomes narrowing down that speech, that talk, what do you find other than people are afraid of losing their market? But what other things stop people from going, hey, this is my lane and this is what I'm going to do? Well, the, um, the, the number one thing is the, the opportunity cost, giving up the other lanes um, and worried about the income that they will lose because they you know, are not marketing those. I think that that's the biggest stumbling block is, um, of course, it takes a little while to figure out which they're most passionate about. Again, TEDx, uh, the, one, the number one thing seems the committee wants is so, something you're passionate about. It's hard to be inspiring if you're not inspired. And People ask me, um, you know, how did you choose suicide as a topic? Well, it's in my DNA. My family lives with, with um, generational depression and suicide. 
So my answer is I didn't pick suicide as a topic. Suicide picked me. And there are some of my clients who have something. I have a, I have a client who is a is narcolepsy and she's got a book on it, a foundation on it. So it's, I mean, it's obvious that's what she should be speaking on and doing her TEDx on. Some of them aren't quite so obvious, but most people have, have something they're most passionate about. Many people have several passions, but, uh, you know, we wade through and we figure out which one they're actually most passionate about. And if it's marketable, A, to a TEDx, and B, is it a marketable, bookable topic uh, on the corporate and association circuit? Nice. And is there any way that they might be able to get an idea of that answer uh, before they go to you? Uh, before they come to me, mm-hmm. um, I would say they go to go to a website called eSpeakers, eSpeakers.com, and type in your topic. You know, do, do a search for speakers on that topic and see if anybody comes up. And if nobody comes up, either A, you have found yourself a vacuum and you're going to be rich, or B, it's probably not marketable because nobody's speaking on it. Very good point. And unless it's super topical that has just kind of come on the on the realm, I would think that's viable. And uh, I also know that uh, people that are considering that if you have something that's leading edge and you're like, hey, I don't know if this would be the thing. Absolutely. Go and talk to Frank because he's a wealth of an experience and knowledge. So what are some of the stumbling blocks that somebody might be having right now? And they're thinking, oh, my God, Frank, I need to talk to you so badly. Well, one stumbling block is, uh, you know, to pitch yourself as a speaker, you're going to need a promotional toolkit. Uh, video being the biggest stumbling block. I don't, have, I don't have anything of me on video. Where am I going to get myself on video, either virtually nowadays or live stages? And so I have several sources where you can you can attend summits and they record it so it's virtual and do your keynote um there are stages live where you go um it might even get paid but it's yeah the video is the the big stumbling block and you don't need a ton of it Uh, my sizzle reel is four minutes and 47 seconds and it's uh, little clips from probably half a dozen different venues nowadays you know people have the the uh what do you call it the um not the concentration, but the attention span of goldfish. So it's it's quick clips and music and graphics. And so you don't need a ton of video. You just need you you on se- on several stages, in different outfits, in front of several groups. And there are ways to get that, even virtually. You know, before the pandemic, you said, look, I, all I've got is Zoom footage. People go, really? What's Zoom? Uh, nowadays... Uh, and I've got a friend who can actually put you on stage in front of a stadium full of people. And it looks like you're actually speaking to a stadium full of people. It's magic. <laughs> yeah. So then you have to have a website uh, or a landing page. I said, look, have a speaker only website. See, again, people want to put everything they do on, a, on the homepage on the website. Meeting planner comes there and sees all these wonderful things you do. You're not the person they're looking for because they want the experts. So either A, have a separate website for your speaking, period. Or B, cheaper, have a landing page, you know, michelle.com forward slash speaking, much cheaper, same site, you know, it's been up for a while, it's got some traction already, much easier to get the SEO, but you need a page that just says what the meeting planner is looking for, and on that page, here's what I'm going to teach your audience, here's a summary of the speech, 
Here's some video of me in action. Uh, a one pager, same idea, picture, description of the speech, learning objectives, and a bio. So video, one pager, bio, uh, you know, a headshot, the usual. Um, but the video is a big stumbling block from, from my clients who are just beginning their speaking career. Getting them some video footage is, uh, is, is the most difficult part. But there are ways to do that. I love that. So give us an example of one of your Cinderella stories of one of your clients. Let's see. Uh, I have a client who's a college admission counselor. And the way she got into, the way she got into um, that was she had four kids and she got them all into Ivy League schools. And so other parents in her area found out about that and they would buttonhole her at the grocery store. Hey, can you help my kid get into so she decided she would do a TEDx on the importance of starting early with your child if you want to get them in a really good school. Because what would happen is these parents would drag this poor child in the 11th grade and say, I wanted to go to Harvard. Well, uh, we have like less than two years of school to, to, you know, to polish this heap of junk up to make him look Harvard worthy. Matter uh-huh. of fact, I coined a <laughs> phrase for her. You know, they have helicopter parents and bulldozer parents, snowplow parents. I said, well, these are tow truck parents. They drag this wreck of a child in in 11th grade and want you to, to you know, to, to, to oh, do the auto mind. body shop thing oh. on it and make it look showroom fresh and send him to Harvard. So uh, so she did a talk on that, on the importance of and how you do it, you know, how you, how you get your kid into school, into a, a good school, not necessarily an Ivy, but the best school they can get into. Yep. And in 2021, it was one of the top 50, top 50 TEDx talks on YouTube. You have another client, something like a Renaissance man. He has a company called Cope Notes, C-O-P-E-N-O-T-E-S, Cope Notes. It sends positive mental health messages to kids at random during the month. It's a brilliant idea. He's also the lead singer in a in a, in a uh, metal band, heavy metal band called Prison. Uh, one of the entrepreneurs of the year in some you know survey they did last year. And he had 12,000 organic views on his TEDx, I think, in the first year. He has now 1.1 million. And it's a mental health talk. And uh, he's so he's he's doing very well in the speaking in the speaking business because, you know, his bio begins. His first TED talk got 1.1. And he got invited to a second TED talk. He called me in a panic. Somebody dropped out of a TED talk near him. They heard about my client. Frank, I've got three weeks to prepare for this. So we, you know, we nose the grindstone. We got the second TEDx done so we could do it three weeks later. Nice. So um, I've got a client who's got three TEDx talks. I've never mm-hmm. seen anything like it. And what my people work with me, you don't have to pay extra for the second and third TEDx talk. We just work on it till you run out of ideas. Wow. That's amazing. So I know our listeners are going to want more from you. How did they start their journey with you? YourTedxCoach.com. And there's a button on there where you can, you know, click the button and uh, get a free half an hour of TEDx coaching. And, and talk about, you know, does your idea worth spreading? Does it qualify? I had a young woman call me. I want to talk about customer service. Can't help you. What? I go, Are you really that passionate about customer service? I can't sell that. I'm not going to take on a client whose idea I can't sell. I said, now, if you'd said to me, I want to talk about the power of empathy in customer service now that I can sell. So, you know, it, it can't just be a pedestrian. I'm big into customer service. 
needs to be something you're really, really passionate. And here's the thing about TEDx. They love a good idea. They love a good idea with a great backstory even better. So like, like America's Got Talent. If you watch carefully, a lot of their talent had an amazing backstory. You know, some guy went to prison, convicted wrongly, sang every day. His dream was to be on AGT. He was, he was, he was um, released and exonerated. And here he is tonight, ladies and gentlemen. And, you know, he's got great pipes. So they love a great talent, but they also love a great talent with a wonderful backstory. I love that. So is there anything that I should be asking you about this whole arena that I haven't yet? Yes, um, there are. I have a PDF that I give away. I think you can, you can find it on my site called The Six Things You Can Do to Kill Your Chances of Landing a TEDx. So in short, uh, too much is the thing that kills most applications, either too many ideas or too much about one idea. They don't want a thesis. Uh, lack of creativity. Because they get a couple hundred applications, you need to be creative in whatever you put on that application. I've had two TEDx's where my my title and subtitle were so good they said you don't have to audition. You do not have to audition. So uh, that I, that told me that creativity you have to get their attention first. It's a marketing pitch, mm -hmm. and then um, not applying to enough TEDx's. People that come to me they go yeah I applied three or four times didn't get it gave up. A young woman came to me she was using another company. They had helped her apply eighty times eight zero nothing no auditions no callbacks no TEDx. I said, well, we kind of look at your application, kind of work it over. And it was, you know, all the I's were dotted, the T's were crossed. There was nothing wrong with it, but it just didn't sing. I mean, it just didn't, you know, grab me. So I said, can I, can I edit it? And I did. And she submitted five more times and got TEDx Beacon Street Boston in five applications. Yeah. And that told me again that you've got to get their attention. They got, they got a couple hundred applications, you know. Right. Absolutely. I love it. So <clears throat> at what point in life, Frank, did you know that you're a special kind of crazy enough to think that you could become an entrepreneur? Uh, ninth grade, I told a joke and the students laughed and the teacher was so hysterical. She excused herself to go to the teacher's lounge. Uh, and I thought to myself at that moment, I am going to be a stand up comedian. Twelfth grade, I did the talent show. I won. Of course, I beat the accordion player and the folk dancers. <laughs> But still, I won. And then my first night on stage at open mic on April 1st, 1984, halfway through my set, I heard this inside my head. You're home. Huh. And my second thought was, I'm going to do this for a living. I have no idea how. <laughs> and Michelle, I think I told you, I thought about writing a keynote called, What Could You Do If You Didn't Know No Better? because I had no idea how hard it was to make a full-time living doing stand-up comedy. If I'd known, I might not have, you know, given it a shot, but, but I knew I, I was destined to be a comedian. My whole family's funny. And, and I just knew that in my heart, that's what I was, I guess I feel really fortunate that in, at nine years old, I decided what I was going to do. Cause you know, most people kind of wander around through life trying to bump into whatever it is that, you know, that they're, uh, but yeah, I knew, I knew from a, early age. The teacher I, met, I saw later, years later, I saw that teacher. She goes, Frank, you know why I went to the teacher's lounge? She goes, I was so hysterical. I was afraid I was going to laugh so hard in your face, it would break your heart. So I had to leave the room. I didn't want to crush your spirit. <laughs> so, 
<laughs> as no ever comedian said, oh, yeah, they laughed too hard at my jokes. It was awful. <laughs> yeah. 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 Please stop. Don't. No. Stop, no. no. <laughs> yeah. The, the reverse is actually true, Michelle. I've had shows where. There peeps. Apparently, we have lost Frank in the Caribbean Ocean somewhere, but that's okay. He will resurface again on another show, I assure you. So I just wanted to take this time to say thank you so much for being here with us today. And we'd love it if you subscribe to the show and, of course, share with your friends. We love helping your businesses grow. Thank you for listening to our show. I'm all about being a resource center for entrepreneurs to give them the information and the support that they need to make it in business. As such, the notes for this show can be found at our website at awarenessstrategies.com slash blog. Be sure to subscribe, give us a rating, I like five stars personally, and share with your friends.